Hello and welcome to the virtual Curve Shed. Um, it's Jesse Carlson here from Curve Cycling. Um, grab yourself a beer, cider, water, tea or coffee. Make yourself at home. I'll be having a sports drink myself. I think today's choice is um, Abbotsford Stout, um, one of our favourites. Anyway, so we have thought we'd put together a bit of a podcast um, around our race ride seek uh, theme. And uh, today we're, we're lucky lucky to be speaking to Jason Archer, um, who's a Melbourne-based racer, part of the Extended Curve squad. He's in Italy in his final preparations for, uh, tw- for the 24-hour solo mountain bike world championships. Uh, that's right, so these guys ride f- close to 400 kilometres, off-road, rocky stuff in a 24-hour period. They don't actually get off their bikes, they just keep keep rolling lap after lap for 24 hours um riding at a solid pace it's incredible stuff they'll climb you know over the height of everest in that that period as well uh, jason's a reigning world champ in the 40 to 44 year old age category and we're lucky to talk to him um and so but why why do we find this this stuff interesting and why does it fit with what we're doing with curve i think the th- interesting thing about bikes is that um bikes a bit different to cycling is a bit different to football and soccer and so on um you can define your mission so whether it's mountain biking or road bmx even um unicycles um you can define your mission and so what we really love to do is we we love to get behind people who have they've got a mission something that's they've caught the bug for they've got a they've got a, a bug they just want to see if they can do it it's a personal challenge like it's not going to end in fame or fortune or glory or any much glory or anything like that there's just a personal challenge um, that they've got that they want to see if they can achieve and so that's what we love about jason jason is on this mission to uh to to re to to regain his his world championship in the 40 to 44 age category supported by his his lovely wife and another member of the curve curve family um he's been he's been riding uh riding amazingly well but had had some injuries recently some uh, some health scares tobias lestral um anyway so let's just let's get straight into it and um transfer ourselves into into the beautiful um coastal coastal seaside um italy down near down actually down near monaco um so take it away Okay, I'm uh, I'm here in the in the virtual curve uh, curve shed uh, with some shed beers, and I'm here with um, Jason Archer, who is actually on the other side of the planet right now. Where where exactly are you right now? Well, beyond, beyond being in the virtual shed, having a couple of virtual beers, I am ensconced in a beautiful place called Pietro Legure, um, which is basically. Um, yeah, just around the corner from Finale Ligua, it's on the northern Mediterranean coast, somewhere between the Cinque Terre and Monaco. Um, so as far as magical places go, it's pretty much right up there. It's, um, yeah, it's epic. So it's pretty much as far away from a miserable evening, cold and wet evening in Melbourne as you can get right now. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, you've, yeah, you've taken me there. So, um, so, and what on earth are you doing there? Well, I'm kind of nervously pacing up and down right now, and um, we're, my wife and I 
Kylie and I are here for the Wembo 24-hour World Championships. So we're, I'm due to ride my mountain bike for 24 hours tomorrow um, in an attempt to defend slash win a, a world championship in an age group category and um so right now we've been you know dealing with the uh italian traffic eating a lot of pasta listening to the beautiful language and and trying not to freak out too much about what's coming up good stuff and i think so this um these big missions that I don't know, we love to hear about. Um, sometimes pretty tough just getting to the start line. Um, has it been has it been a tough road just to just to get over there? Well, it's interesting because a lot of, you know, when we, when we define tough, there's there's different versions of tough, which you know, you know, drag different uh, reactions out of you. So, from the perspective of, you know, patience have been, you know, it's been tough from a patience perspective. You know, delays in Dubai, all those sort of things. It's been tough, you know, watching my psychological profile, you know, oscillate from one side to the other, you know, sort of like calm and relaxed and, and you know, resigned in a way to, you know, hyper intense and hyper activated over some situation. So from that perspective, it's been tough um, from the from trying to understand what is important and what isn't important in the journey leading up to it. And um, I know that, you know, one of my great mentors, uh, Scott Nicholas from Bike Matters down in um, Torquay, He's a uh, single-speed 24-hour solo champion. Um, and he, you know, used to say, make every day a good day. And so from the perspective of, you know, the challenges leading up to it, in Australia, in the training regimes and all that sort of stuff, yeah, it was tough, but it was a good day because it was tough, then it became a good day. And then there's all the other challenges where you're sitting in airports, you're you know, on a plane next to someone who seems like they've got the bubonic plague, um, you're eating food that you, you wouldn't usually eat. So in a way, you know, whilst I'm conscious that I'm absolutely blessed and very, very fortunate to be able to choose this as a challenge, you know, it's been pretty tough to get to this start line, um, you know, but arguably, it's tougher for guys from New Zealand. You know, they've got another six hours in front of them as opposed to us. Is it a tough... So I imagine for 24-hour solo mountain bike riding, mountain bike racing, that um, training's a pretty tough thing. Um, I imagine, is there a lot of volume involved? There must be a lot of sacrifices to make in order to race at the top level. Um, it's quite interesting because as we get older... <laughs> The endurance is always there. So, I mean, uh, the capacity to, you know, push through, you know, various layers of pain and those sort of things um, sort of seems to harden with age. What does lose away, what does sort of drift away is the power and the sustained speed and the strength and, and all those sort of things which start to take a toll on you over the course of 24 hours, like the endless rocks, the endless G-outs, you know, the climbing, all that sort of stuff. Um, we've been training a lot for that. So I'm, I'm coached by Adam Kelsall of Hero Dirt, and he's had me doing a lot of strength work on both in the gym and on the um, on the ergo, really, really, you know, maxing out the intensity with a view to basically not only hardening my muscles but hardening my resolve. And I dare say, people like you know Sarah Hammond, who knows all about you know sitting on a spit bike um, and how that translates into long endurance events. It's a case of, you know, when you're bouncing around at 700 or 800 watts at, you know, 170, 180 beats a minute for that last 30-second interval, you're going, wow, that's the stuff that sort of
pushes, you know, it acts that, um, it galvanises the strength that you get from all the endurance that you've done leading into it, which is to say that in my 15 to 20 to 22 hours a week of training, a lot of it was actually, you know, bouncing around in really short, painful intervals, and then I'd just go out for a long ride to learn how to eat. And so, yeah, there's a lot of interesting preparation leading up to this event that you wouldn't usually think would happen. Mm. And so with the... With the lead up to this, I mean, you say that as you get older, you've got that endurance base that sticks around for a long time. I mean, what what on earth got you into this this discipline, twenty four hour solo mountain biking? Um, what how what led you to this this place where you're about to ride around and around for twenty four hours, um, trying to beat beat the hell out of everyone else? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think there's a couple of things that pop up for me. I, I got into mountain biking. Um, uh, on this lingering image I've got in my mind of Tim McGrath at a 12-hour race in Werribee, like about a decade and a half ago, walking around with this big brown, you know, this, this Melbourne bitter that he was drinking before a race with his shock of hair out of the bottom of his helmet. I thought, this is this is this kind of racing I could get involved in. And as I got deeper and deeper into mountain bike racing, um, there seemed to be a certain level at which, you know, there was a, a really strong... Um, relationship between the psychology of yourself and the environment that was sort of met with the longer, tougher distances. Which is to say, um, I had this inkling that at a certain place inside a 24-hour race, you get to know a lot about yourself. Um, and, you know, guys who have done the indie pack and all that sort of stuff, and you're looking up the road going, can I do this? And then there's all these sort of voices in your head that go, maybe I can, maybe I can't. Same sort of thing in 24-hour solo except we're going arguably pretty, you know, in a, a really, you know, it's still very fast. We're still barreling down the downhills and that sort of thing, absolutely exhausted. And in those moments, there was something incredibly um, addictive about it. Um, can I do everything just a little bit better? And what's it like to feel myself, feel, feel what I'm like when everything about me just wants to give up? And so in a way, what got me into it is kind of a search a search for not only the fun of it because it's a massive and great community but there's a search for a real innate self-knowledge in all sorts of long distance riding and, and for me 24 hour solo was it yeah cool and so what do you think you've learnt out of doing this I mean it's you've, you've done quite a few of these now um, do you learn something new every time you do it or is it is it a matter of um, you know you you've you've got it down to a fine art now and and you you know what to expect or are you learning new things every time oh absolutely learning new things every time um so for argument's sake in finale where we are now the course is incredibly tough um i have no doubt that it will open a whole new book uh, for me to read during the course of um during the course of this event and you know from the perspective of you know, all the little subtleties and nuances of, you know, tyre pressures and suspension rebounds and, you know, ergonomics on the bike and, and nutrition and, and all those sort of things. We all learn a little bit more about that from a physical and an infrastructure side, which is half half the excitement. Learning more about what I'm like when everything wants to give up, I have no doubt there's something there as well. Because sometimes, you know, each event, particularly when you're going pretty pretty hard and we will for the world champs um the bigger you, the, the deeper you dig the, the more there is at the bottom to to pull up and so sometimes I'm, I'm digging into these events and i find stuff about myself i really i'm really quite surprised 
surprised and frightened to see, you know, like the innate panic, some of the anxiousness that comes up, all those sort of things, and what I need to do to work through them. And I have no doubt that this 24 and the 24 hours that I do coming up, there will be all those sort of lessons that I, I keep learning, mm. absolutely. And when you get to those points where it's like, well, you face something new like that or there's something scary or something about yourself that that you know appears that you're frightened of maybe how do you how do you push through that how do you keep going when you're that exhausted you know it's quite interesting because i think there's a whole bunch of things that make up uh the pool of motivation upon which i draw from and and a lot of it is just the the support that you get from your sponsors and your family and your friends and the fact that my wife has had to deal with me as a strung out athlete as i've you know (laughs) trained for this thing for 14 months all that kind of stuff so um that's that's one part of one part of the pool. Um, there is a couple of other things that I go through in my mind, and one of them is an understanding of fear and an understanding of pain. So quite often I'll be on the massage table, and as we all know, massages aren't actually that much fun. And so I've got some psychopath digging his elbow into my ribs or something, and and it hurts. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, this is a pain that I don't need to be scared of because it's good. Um, and then there's the other kind of pain, which is a pain which is tinged with fear. And the fear is quite often the thing that kicks you out of these big, long races. And so my, my thought processes are when I'm in those really dark, deep moments is, is to correlate a few things. Hey, people are out here watching you and they're, and they're riding with you. Um, the other thing is, is that pain, is that pain something you need to be scared of? And if you are scared of it, what does it mean? So you can imagine I'm rifling through these sort of like this process of understanding to get to a certain point where it just goes, you've got, you've ticked all those boxes now. Now just keep going. Mm. You know, in 10 minutes time, everything you've just asked yourself will be irrelevant. But in half an hour's time, you'll ask it again. And so in a way, it's a case of all that sort of stuff just builds up a body of process. So the motivation, the understanding, it just builds to this this big, long procedure that I just go through each time I start getting really dark. And then when I get dark, I just move through. Having said that, there is a point at which it, it all just goes quiet. So I raced the Bright 24 recently and I was cold, it was miserable, I had a, had a terrible time and I ended up just rolling through mechanically. It felt like everything was silent mm. and that's a scary place and I hope not to go there too often. Mm. Maybe I'll go there again this time and when we talk about the learnings, it might just be another learning. You know, that's, what's, that's what it's like to be in that scary, silent, cold cave you can't really find a way out of mm. except for just keeping the pedals turning over mm. and that's so that's that's a quite interesting thing mm. good question too that's far out fascinating fascinating stuff i think one of the maybe i can hear some of the the fear and some of the excitement in your voice talking about this maybe maybe can you talk us through how these races evolve so talk us about what happens on the you know you get up in the morning and then you know what are you doing are you are you are you eating frantically are you you're nervous are you are you trying to sleep as long as possible how does it how, how does the morning of the race go you know in a perfect world um i would i'm gonna probably i'm gonna eat a a size of a bowl of pasta about as big as me in about 20 minutes <laughs> and then that's going to put me into a food coma i'm going to sleep for two hours this afternoon i'll get up i'll do it again ideally i go back to sleep and then i'll do it once more and then i'll sleep all the way through i'll get up at six o'clock i'll 
eat my body weight in sugary carbohydrate um, and then turn up to the race, hopefully with as minimal nerves as possible. It, po- it won't work out like that. I know. I, I'll get up tomorrow morning and, you know, I'll do, you know, all my activities will be broken up by a period where I need to go and do a nervous crap. Um, there will be you know a range of things I've, I've, I tread on I forget um, I freak out about you know the, the minor nuances of, of you know should I put on another two clicks of rebound or something like that mm. so it's um, when, when it comes back to the way that these things pan out they never really it's, it actually turns out to be really organic mm. whilst I'd love to say I'm totally Teutonic with the process quite often the nerves just get the better of me and I was saying to Kylie earlier on today I've never been more nervous mm. for an event not only because you know I'm a defending world champ and I want to I want to live up to my own expectations but because um, there's so many unknowns all the Euros are here the event is huge we've been up, up and down from the event you know, race central, and it's massive. Mm. There's thousands of different accents, heaps of people there. Um, so that is to say that on race day, it'll be really hard to quiet everything down to um, just allow the event to happen organically. And once I'm racing, it'll be fine, as it always is. Um, but in the lead up, yeah, I'll be shitting myself mm. almost quite literally. Talk us, th- talk us through the start of the race. How do they? How does a twenty-four hour solo mountain bike race start? How does it start, and what does okay. the what are the what are the first few hours look look and feel like? <laughs> well, in finale, it's going to be significantly different, which sort of adds to the level of stresses that we have. Um, for instance, this race and. Traditionally, 24-hour races have started with a Le Mans start, right? So the bike's at one end of a, of a particular stretch and you have to run up to it. In this... Okay, um, so bike riders are traditionally great at, at running. And, yeah. and, and, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry? Yeah, bike riders are traditionally great at running as well, so... Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah short, short hamstrings really helps. Right really yourself helps off before you even get on the bike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Carbon sole shoes. <laughs> Terrible. Um... And so we've got to run 500 metres, which is, you know, nearest makes a difference to three or four minutes of running um, to get to our bikes, and then we jump on and go. Um, now, usually, in a perfect world, what would happen is everyone just goes out at a relatively, a relatively calm rate. The people who end up blowing up and pulling out at the six or eight or ten hour mark usually fly up the road in a cloud of dust, and you, you know you're just going to see them parked in the pits you know, come midnight, um, and you just tap it out. You just tap it out at 130, 140 beats a minute going through the process for 24 hours. Um, but in this one, it's going to be quite interesting. So not only do we have the run, but the course is quite technical. It is also quite small, and there's a lot of riders, which means, and it's dusty, so we'll be riding, possibly turning up after our 500 metre run. Um, riding this quite technical course in this conga line, this dusty conga line for probably the first two hours. And so there's been a lot of, you know, nervous chatter around the start line as to people, you know, I want to ride in clean air and I don't want to burn myself out and all this sort of stuff. So in this one, it's going to be really strange. And I think on the day I'll just find myself going out and doing what I usually do, that is starting slow, staying slow but just keeping going and and watching everyone else fall aside it's kind of like a planned bradbury moment if you know what i mean (laughs) just keep going and 
everyone else will die. <laughs> I've um, it's it's interesting. I found with um some of the riding I've done with these these long races, um, you, it's almost like you get to the start line. There's a lot of stress in the build up, the lead up, all this preparation, all this training, getting your gear sorted, making sure things are charged and you know how everything's going to work and then it's almost like when you start all that stress um goes away because there's nothing more you can do you just you just have to ride from then on and i found with 24-hour races it's almost like that stress transfers to your support crew <laughs> um do you find yeah, yeah, that at absolutely. all absolutely do you yeah. find that at all yeah very much so and so um it's a case of oh and it actually translates into the first half an hour of the race as well and so we um quite often and you may have seen this yourself with you know the big long you know the transams and the indie packs and stuff like that you sort of you turn up and the, and the people are burning off nervous energy for the first half an hour or so on the, on the court and we'll expect that tomorrow mm. but in the in the pit crew too it's kind of one of those things that um over time i've learned that me coming in and you know yelling at my pit crew and blah, 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 being really hostile or not necessarily hostile, but really high anxiety doesn't necessarily work because, yeah, as to point in the first two or three laps, they're just as hostile as me and are prone to making mistakes and setting the race up for a poor outcome. Um, and so Kylie and I, and she said to me this morning, you know, I'm as nervous as you are mm-hmm. for this. And she's doing a lot of deep breathing, etc., making sure that her stress doesn't transfer onto me and all the stress that I'm pouring onto her, the poor girl, mm-hmm. um, is actually bouncing off or she's not sucking it up. But to your point over the first few laps, yeah, it'll be pretty pretty important for me to come in, hi, how are you going? Yeah, things are fine. I love whatever you, you've given me. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd love another bottle, etc., just to keep everyone calm and happy because I've supported in the crew before and staying up for 24 hours when you don't have something to do other than get yelled at by a hostile bike rider every, you know, half an hour, an hour or so can be pretty arduous as well. And how important is the is the support crew in, in 24-hour solo mountain biking? Oh, it's absolutely, you know, half of this is, half of this is, is the support crew. Um, and I'm really lucky that Kyle is brilliant at it. Uh, she knows me very well. She's, you know, very solid with regards to the food preparation and those sort of things. Um, and, you know, by way of an example, I was racing out at Listerfield um, in a six-hour prior to coming out here, and it was hard. You know, I was racing one of the young guns, Tyler Windham from Albury, Wodonga. He was super fast. We were going really hard. And Kylie... Um, was busy she couldn't turn up until later and my race went into a halt because i needed her um and no fault of her own i just sort of you know found myself really reliant on that so back to your initial question without good support the race is almost impossible to finish um and i've seen guys self-supporting before but you know they're just out there doing you know they're not competing they're getting out there, they're rolling around. They'll sit in transition for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. They'll get back out for another couple of laps and do it all again. Whereas when you've got a pit crew, you you don't stop. Mm-hmm. You pick up a bottle while rolling. Um, all those minutes are saved. That puts you up the front. Um, and the race becomes really real when mm-hmm. you've got a support crew. And mm-hmm. it's absolutely incredible, absolutely critical. And so who's on your support crew? There's Kylie, your wife, obviously. <clears throat> yeah, Kylie's my wife. I've got Tobias Lestral. Um, who's going to drift in and out. Tobias has had a really bad run, had a run of really bad luck, which is unfortunate because he was in amazing form 
coming into this and then found himself quite ill. Um, but with all his tickets, books and stuff like that, he came out. He's going to sit in support and provide some um, some strategy and, and um, timing updates and all that sort of stuff for me. So I'll have Kylie and Tobias. Um, and we're pitted in with a whole bunch of Australians as well. So we're next to um, Jason English, uh, Liz, who's the um, current women's world champion um and we're basically in a, a big english speaking area and traditionally the community helps each other um we're all out of each other's categories which is fortunate because that means that we don't end up being hostile towards the end of the race <laughs> but um it'll mean that whilst i've got kylie and, and vice in my corner the australian community will be there for me as well which is great fantastic when and with these with these races, when when do you think the race actually starts? I mean, sure, the gun goes off and and you start riding, but when do you think the race really starts? Is, I mean, I looked at these races before and I thought, well, maybe at about the fourteen hour mark. If it started at midday, two in the morning, that's kind of when it starts. And other people would say, oh well, you know, it sort of starts when you know when the for some people it only starts when the sun comes up. Uh, because there's there's a final six hours to go. When, when do you reckon the the race really starts? Well, it's quite interesting that um, because it's it's one of those questions I've mulled over over and over again, and it's a case of um, you know ultimately the race, you know the preparation and the process starts you know, like getting getting very procedural with my with my race. Getting serious with that starts when the gun goes off, so I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, Everything is very serious for the first 14 hours, but I'm not mashing the pedals particularly hard. You know, my downhill lines and all that sort of stuff are very clean and smooth, etc. So it's still racing. But to your point about where we actually start getting the elbows out and butting heads, uh, for me personally, I I like to commute for 18 hours, 18 hour commute, and then I get to race start. And then for me, it's six hours away. So uh, for this event, it'll be four o'clock in the morning because it finishes at 10. Mm-hmm. And that's where if there's someone who's a lap up on me or someone who's gaining on me over the course of the night, that's where I'll, I'll pull out the hammers and start bashing stuff up. Um, but before that, all that sort of energy, yeah, so I need to bank all that energy for the last six hours for me. Um, other people, like I've heard Jason English will attack at about two o'clock in the morning in speaking with him, I think he just doesn't slow down. You know, everyone else slows down at 2 o'clock in the morning. He doesn't, and it looks like an attack. Um, so I think everyone has that same sort of thing. Having said that, you know, watching Jason English, Corey Wallace, and Tobias racing, Tobias Lestral racing in um, Rotorua last year, it was a balls-out race from the get-go. And those guys just smashed each other up for nine on 25 hours mm. until Jason rolled over the line, I think, like, with 90 seconds in front of Corey Wallace, mm. um, having pretty much run at just under XEO pace for the entire race. Mm. It's incredible. Um, yeah, so there you go. Mm, incredible. Mm. And so with, just talk us through your equipment. How many do you, you have, uh, you have multiple bikes in order to keep going, do you, do you Jason? I do indeed. So the equipment I've got is, um, so moving from the bike outwards, um, I've got a Focus, uh, a Focus 1 or O1E. Um, that's a, a great, you know, 100mm 
travel bike from uh, Focus, incredibly light. Um, I've got a Focus Raven, which is a hardtail variant of that. Um, I've got curved wheels, which are a weapon of choice for me by virtue of the fact that they're super light and super strong. Um, so that's that's a whole bunch of magic there. And in those wheels, I've got some um, ceramic bearings from HSC. <coughs> and um, the rest, <coughs> excuse me, I just did out the cockpit with, you know, light and strong. Um, so a lot of 3T carbon parts. Um, however, heavy saddles. I have heavy saddles on both my bikes because, you know, trail chatter translates pretty quickly into saddle sores uh, over a 24-hour race. And um, so heavy saddles, you know, and I've got good um, good tyres. So I run Bontrager uh, X2 team issue tyres and they're all, you know, Kevlar belted and, you know, heaps of heaps of rim strike protection and all that sort of stuff in them. So it's my equipment is pretty much. I have two bikes over here. Um, they they weigh in at ten point five and, and nine point one kilos each. The hardtails, wow. you know, nine point one kilos. Yep. So they're super light, which yep. I'm really stoked about. Um, but you know, they're they're built up for cockpits, all comfortable, and the rolling stock is all very very reliable. Um, but everything else is as light as I can possibly make it. So yeah, okay. So it sounds like there there are some pretty light components on there as well. So you know, ceramic mm. bearings and some pretty lightweight stuff, but not skimping on your on your saddle and tires by the sounds of it. Yeah, well, precisely. Any contact point needs to be absolutely bulletproof, particularly the one under me. Yeah, that thing. Uh, and I, I remember racing my first ever twenty four solo, and I um, ended up with this particular saddle and it was light and it you know looked great but i was numb in the man area for two <laughs> weeks afterwards like properly lights out not a single noise <laughs> and i was if there's one thing that keeps you awake at night is thinking that something else won't wake up ever. <laughs> so the, the comfortable saddles is a very important thing must be said tales from the trails hey <laughs> Now, with these with these races, actually, one other, one other thing I haven't touched on really is um, how important is nutrition in these races? I guess that's your that's your fuel tank. Um, what's your nutrition source in in this race? How do you keep going? Well, this one, Kylie's been really good in this, and um, we went so traditionally, you know, nutrition leading into the event to support all the training is all you know things like kale and quinoa and organic eggs and no sugar and blah 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 right so i eat you know almost like a vegan except with meat mm. and um so it's coming right into that that's keeping me all very very um you know keeping the training base strong um etc and keeping me healthy then on race day um it's totally different so i just go to full high octane fuel and what we've got here in italy and it's quite fortunate because you go into an italian supermarket it's basically all these little you know jersey sized cakes that have somewhere between, you know, 15 and 35 grams of carbohydrate in them. You know, they're soaked in sugar. They're soaked mm. in, They've got a bit of fat in them. They're, they're incredibly strong tastes. All those sort of things. Um, but my plan is to eat two of those a lap, drink normal. Unfortunately, I don't lose a lot of sodium in my sweat, which mm. is very, very good for this sort of environment or this kind of racing. And um, so I'll be using a relatively low, uh, low um, concentrated electrolyte a lot of Italian snacks, basically, um, gels and some bars. And um, 
I got that idea actually from looking at, um, again, Jason English. You know, you go and have a look at his pit tent and it's filled with stuff that would make normal people fat in an afternoon, <laughs> you know. Um, and yet there's other guys who just run on pure gels. I, I lean more to the English camp because he says quite wisely, it's an eating competition. Yeah, and yeah. I've got this enormous not moving box size, uh, yeah, moving, moving massive box full of this crap which I usually wouldn't eat, but on race days, it's going to be absolutely incredible. <laughs> hey, um, Jason, a couple more questions. One one thing, so it sounds like this has been a big mission getting ready for it and so on, and and um, very soon it's it's all going to be over. Um, you know, what what comes next after after this? Is that something you, you think about, you know, to have a focus for afterwards? Because... You know, it's it's some it's it's hard sometimes. Whether you're successful, sometimes when you're successful, it's even harder. Um, finishing these mm-hmm. big missions and moving on to to what comes next. So, do you have any thoughts on what's going to come after this race? It's quite interesting. After every twenty four hours, I'll never do another one. Um, and from so in the very very short term, like we're in Italy for another week afterwards or ten days afterwards, and we'll uh, go to Sardinia, and and we've got this amazing hotel and this amazing environment, and I'm going to basically get my skinny pale body out on the beach, and I'm going to relax. I'm going to let whatever happen, either good or bad, wash off me, and then I can't help but look forward to the um, Australian 24-hour solo titles. Um, I was unwell for it last time, and I would have loved to have raced. Um, so that's that's one. The Oceanias will be around that about about the same time as well. And I also can't help but think about those events, which make twenty four hour racing look like a warm up, like uh, you know, race to the rock. Um, you know, something long and off road is something I quite like the sound of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's been said before, you know, it can be type two and type three fun in equal measures, that sort of stuff. So I'm not entirely sure. Maybe just 24 hours holiday where I have someone hand me something to eat and I can sleep at the end of it. <laughs> well, mate, um, is there anyone we is there any way we can follow the race live at all? Um, is there a is there a tracking yeah. site where we can get lap times and all that sort of thing? There is, um, I think it's, uh, if you Google for wembo.com.au or just type in wembo.com.au, that's the World Endurance Mountain Biking Organisation site. They'll have links through to another site, which is called um, 24hfinale.com, mm-hmm. um, and that is the Italian site that shows everything that's happening. But, you, t- you know, I love being here in Italy, but it's fair to say that, you know, um, their Teutonic efficiency is diluted by their passion for everything else. So a lot of the stuff should be there but isn't. Um, and also inside our Facebook, there's a lot of groups that are following the race, be it, um, be it Finale themselves or some other people. But usually most of this stuff you'll find from wembo.com.au and that'll, uh, that'll point you in the right direction. Well, fantastic. All right, Jace, is there, is there anyone you'd, uh, you'd like to thank before we, we head off? Yeah, I mean... Um, Clearly, you know, one of the things about having sponsors is, you know, uh, they make normal people, give the capacity for normal people to race at a, at, a, at a level that they may not be able to afford usually. And so, you know, Bike Matters in Torquay and Scott Nicholas down there has been amazing. Focus Bikes have been awesome. They've given me some rad rigs. Curve Cycling, clearly some amazing wheels and great support there. Um, you know, 
Jersey mix, yada yada, IM Pedlo, they're good. Um, HSC Ceramics, um, and you know all that sort of stuff. And, and Adam Kelso, the Hero Dirt coaching, has got me in a in a really good position. Um, but moreover, I think it's one of the big things around twenty uh, four hour racing, and for any athlete, is the fact that you just got to put a massive massive amount of love out to the people in your community, both in the mountain bike racing community who are all super supportive, Russ Baker, MTBA presidents, huge on this sort of stuff, and Kylie, you know, my wife and my family, they've been, um, you know, fantastic in, in allowing me to choose this as my challenge uh, to come and um, come and stretch my legs. So all those guys, huge props, massive. It's fantastic. I think, I mean, we're talking about this thing as a 24-hour solo mountain bike um discipline but you just listed um a small a small village really oh, which just is just losing you in the in the dying moments there Jesse. yeah that's all right no, i was just going to say it's um if you can hear me still there you we're talking about 24 hour solo racing um but you just ran off mm. pretty much a whole village of names um yeah well it's solo there's a lot of there's a big team that are around you and um yeah they're supporting you and along for the ride which is fantastic yeah, precisely, and I think there's probably no no more, um, you know, it's an oxymoron 24 solo, because it certainly isn't. It's just one dude who's, you know, propped up by a whole bunch of support uh, to get out there and, and do possibly some of the easier stuff, and that's just ride your bike for 24 hours. Um, yeah, so to your point, absolutely. 24 solo is actually a result of a massive team, so huge thanks. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us here in the the curve shed, the, the virtual shed, Jason. Wish you mm-hmm. all the best for the big race, and um, hopefully we'll get Thank to check you. in with you after it's all over and you're um, you're resting up on the beach somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Or I might come back to Melbourne and uh, have a real beer in a real shed. Because <laughs> I tell you what, uh, I'm looking at this, some of these big brown Belgian beautiful beers, and I'm going to smash some of those as soon as this race is done. Must be said. Oh, fantastic! You'll definitely earn them. That's for sure. Yeah, totally. All right, cool. thanks for your time, Jason. All the best. All right, thanks, Jason. Talk yes. to you later. So that was Jason Archer live from Italy in his final lead-up to the 24-hour solo mountain bike world championships. Um, I screwed up a bit there. I have to apologise. Jason does look very young. He's, in fact, in the 45 to 49-year-old age category. Oh, and hang on. We've got some breaking news. Jason Archer has won. He's defended his title. Got challenged early on. But he came through the goods, um, pushed through the end, and uh, and defended the title. So amazing work from Jason, and he finished um, he finished sixth overall, I believe. Uh, it was an incredibly exciting race. Uh, Jason English actually surprisingly got beaten by Corey Wallace. I think he's just trying on second place for a while because uh, he's just he can't be beaten in these things. Oh, actually, Ed beat him last year anyway i'm rambling jason has won he's defended the title and we're looking forward to talking to him when he gets back to australia we'll hear all about it after he's had a few celebratory sports drinks so hopefully we'll um we'll talk to him when he's back in the country talk to you soon see you guys